Welcome back to the Y Hockey Periodical Podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. I am uh, Matt, your co-host, one of them. Tommy is over there. Welcome to the show in 2024. Somebody could be listening to the show for the first time. I have no idea how that would be possible at this point, but it's possible. Uh, any New Year's resolutions, Tommy, that you might break within a month? No, I just did it. My New Year's resolution was not to sing O Canada uh, sarcastically uh, at the beginning of this show, making fun of Team Canada and their woes in the World Juniors. Uh, so, yeah, fulfilled. <laughs> well done. One for one. One for one. Well done. Um, we will get to the World Juniors later because I know Tom wants to talk about that. And there's something yes, worth talking about it. Uh, by the way, they're going to host the 2026 edition in Minneapolis, which is interesting. I'm surprised they hadn't hosted yes. it there before. Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great place. Minnesota uh, won. I for whatever reason, Minnesota as a state goes crazy for hockey, but especially hockey that's not the NHL. Like if it's juniors, high high school, college. Y- yeah, pond hockey. I mean, like every other conceivable hockey. Well, when you consider uh, the brand of the Minnesota Wild being what it is, the Minnesota Mild. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, they were they were going the right direction, but then Bill Guerin showed up, uh, and or you know, Bill Guerin ran out of steam or whatever you want to say. Uh, but they've been kind of, I don't know if it's the the dealing with the cap buyouts of Parisian Sutter and like that's just really affected them more than they thought it was going to but they've taken steps back uh and that that's really a shame because you you look at a team that brings in Kaprizov brings in Mark Andre Fleury a young American like Boldy uh who I think has just been so underrated he's one of my guys that i would say is one of the most underrated guys now uh two-way hockey i mean just everything he does i think he's a good leader you know i I think he's a real good piece to build around uh what uh defenseman i'm blanking on his name now uh i want to say dante fabro but obviously it's not that brock Mm. faber yeah brock faber Uh, I think he was a Minnesota. He went to Minnesota, uh, and you know he's been lights out playing like twenty nine to thirty minutes a night, like as a rookie, like ridiculous stuff. He's not great for like fantasy and counting stats, but I mean, rock solid thirty minutes at that age is, and with that lack of experience on a team that really is, needs him, and I think you know Brodine's been down for a while. Uh, you know that's been it's been crazy. So. Uh, like I wish Minnesota was better. I think it's great, but Chris Peters, uh, I think who we've had on this show, and if at not, one point we'll, I think he we'll, have, we'll probably bring back Flow Hockey. Um, he was talking. It would be great to have the World Junior in a warm place at least once. Just do it once, right? Could you? Like, you could see if, it in Tampa. Yeah. Well, I mean, like this year they were in what? Gothenburg, uh, and were they in two locations or just they one? Two, there's two ranks in Gothenburg. Okay. Well, I think they could do, you know, a Tampa, Florida, you know, a group in each place, and then you have, you know, you just pick one. It'll probably be Tampa because of the cups and 
that you know they've they've hosted more like they've hosted the NCAA, yeah. the Frozen and, Four, and again I would events. I would rather have them have the gold medal mount rounds and stuff just be included in the in the group stage because Florida still needs to angle to an outdoor game. You know that's you should save up your NHL cachet for that. I I know uh, <laughs> they're one of three teams to not be featured in an outdoor game. I have made my point on what the outdoor game should be for the NHL for years with evolving the Panthers and Lightning, because if they're spooked about doing it in South Florida, which I get it, I understand the concerns, even as I have said on the show repeatedly, the NHL shouldn't be thinking about what it can't do. It should think about what it should do and what it can do. If you do the stadium series Panthers at Lightning during Gasparilla, you block off 15,000 seats for Panthers fans at Ray J, which seats about 67,000, you're going to win. There's no reason you couldn't do that. You would get 15,000 Panthers fans to drive up there. No problem. And you get Panthers lightning when the game matters. Because at some point, the lightning are going to fall off. And it's going to happen sooner than Florida presumably falls off. You need to have Panthers lightning in an outdoor game. Yeah. Immediately. I mean, I would... And it I should would, be next year, honestly. I would, take, I would take Florida going up to Toronto or Boston. Well, do you know what I think the outdoor game might end up being that the Panthers are involved in? And it's going to make Carolina. you sick? No, not Carolina. There's always been the persistent rumor that they want to do a game at Army. And the Panthers would end up being the host team against the Rangers because you can't give up a Rangers home game at MSG. It makes too much money. So you give up a Panthers home game and they play the Rangers at uh, Mitchie up in West Point. You don't think that they would give West Point to the Knights after winning a cup and all the money? <laughs> we we I mean, joked about that, but I think like, sooner. Think I think it. sooner. The, the Golden you, Knights have now been in two outdoor games, and I don't think they want them crossing the country to go play in one. But this is but but the owner would. This would be the one that the owner wants to play in. That he wouldn't. He, his fatigue would be get instantly wiped. You, like I mean, I, that's my thought. And to be honest, it's like that the Knights team is always going to be the favored child of the NHL for the foreseeable future because they cut a huge check. They've only given money and they've only spent lavishly on their team and they've only brought in huge merchandise revenue. Uh, Las Vegas is now a destination. Las Vegas will always be a feather in Bettman's cap. Even more so than Southern expansion in the Sun Belt because of the huge payday with gambling and sponsorships from, from that and with we beat every other major sport to Vegas. And that's something Bettman is going to have on his tombstone. Oh, yeah. No, no. You're absolutely right. So Vegas is going to get that game. It's going to be Vegas. It'd be Vegas, New York in that game. 100%. I, I think it opinion. still could be the Panthers and Rangers, but again, the one that it should be, as I have said, if you are not confident in putting it at Hard Rock or Lone Depot, they would Park, do. They would have to do two games. They would have to do like Vegas versus the Islanders or something like. You know what I mean? Yeah, or, but they would only Vegas do one game. The they would only do one game there because they only did one game at Navy. They only did one game at Air Force. So, as but, I said, yeah, that's been I, I, in the back of my mind that they would consider having the Panthers be the host against the Rangers at Army, but I don't know. What about an outdoor game in Finland for the Panthers? I'm still surprised that we haven't gotten to an outdoor game in Europe yet. I think that I, they want to do it at some point. 
Well, the, here's the thing is, I think that they want to do it. I think they lack the creativity and the, like you've already mentioned, the desire to kind of do something new. You know, like they, they have a, they have a formula and they don't want to stray too far from the formula. They'll get a new band, but it'll be Jonas Brothers. Like, you know what I mean? Like they, 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 they have an idea of what their event should be. And because, and I will give credit to the Batman NHL, they do run good events for the most part. Like when they care to, the all-star game, when they care to is, is good, especially for kids, especially the events they have outdoors and the, the activities and stuff like that for the fans to participate in themselves. Um, the draft, all of that, but you know, I have another wacky idea for outdoor games. I don't think it would ever happen, but it's one of the ones that I would like them to try. Um, because we've now pretty much done every outdoor game venue you could conceivably do other than a couple that I would like them to try. Um, they haven't done one at Lambeau, but that's weirder because you don't have a team in Wisconsin. Um, I would like them to do an outdoor game at the Rose Bowl, but you can't do that New Year's Day, obviously. But I would still like them to do an outdoor game at the Rose Bowl because that would be awesome. But if I'm really going for let's get wacky with outdoor games, I want them playing them in SEC football stadiums. Let's put one at Bryant-Denny. Let's get weird. <laughs> you know, let's put Panthers lightning in the swamp. Come on. That would be yeah. my kind of idea. Like, if you really want to get places that aren't into hockey into hockey, bring out the bands, do all the traditions for your college football Saturday, but have a hockey game there. How great would that be? The I think that would be is awesome. The challenge of going warm and outdoors is you have to be 110% sure that ice is not going to result in someone getting injured. This is true, and this is their concern about doing it in Florida. I understand that. And, like, I don't – I'm fine if you kind of do a makeshift inside-outside. Like, you kind of have it covered, or you kind of have it, like, you know well, – Well, the reason why they haven't done games other than the one at BC Place, which was the last Luongo game for the Canucks, like, I've thought that they were going to do one at Jerry World for the longest time, and they never will, or New yeah. LA Stadium, like, they haven't done it. If you did it covered on the beach with the cameras under the cover and the angle out to the ocean, you I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just, yeah. I'm, you know, like, and, and I'm sure that they've had these kind of talks, but at, until they decide, like, hey, the, we 100% w want to do an outdoor game on this timeline, it's not going to get done. Yeah, that, until they do one it's like in every, Florida it's, between the Panthers and Lightning, which, again, should be next year. They, they should have already had one, but it should be next year. Well, didn't uh, they already announce next year's? No, they haven't announced anything for next year yet. Right. Well, if it's, yeah, I mean, they, we, didn't Florida lose an all-star game or something? That was COVID. It, that was COVID. Yeah, I know. And then they got we, it back. Like, yeah, so, but I mean, like, we, we, Florida is a team now again, and this is why I think they don't get treated right. And I don't know how to change it, but I think it's possible to change it. But you know, Viola bought the Panthers for like nothing, like two hundred million, two hundred fifty million or something. He's gotten so much value out of that. He's used the NHL resources for hiring for all this stuff, like. I don't want to say that they were on benefits, 
an NHL welfare. Like they weren't the Arizona Coyotes, but like compared to most franchises, they were oh, on the. He bought an extremely distressed asset and made it and considerably with, less distressed with with the idea that the NHL would help cl- clean it up. And there were some promises made, and some of those haven't been kept. If if you get good, you will get events and some of that. I think the NHL should do more. The reason I don't think they do more is because now they have new pet. Like they, they're trying. Like Coyotes have a have an arena issue. You know they have Vegas that they you know were desperately trying to get to a cup, and now they're desperately, you know. They're going to. That's going to be their team. They're, they're going to ride register. with. You know, the Kraken. They're p- pumping a ton of money and time and attention to. I mean, the Kraken have already been outdoors, right? Yeah, uh, that was. You, that, know. you know what? That was pretty cool. I have to admit that I that mean, was yeah, that was a neat was outdoor cool. game. I don't want to hate on the Kraken. I like the Kraken. I have many hockey sticks of the Kraken. I think they have the one of the coolest white jerseys in the game, especially outside the original six. It's probably the best white jersey. Um, you know, like I like the team. I like Rod Francis. I like their front office. You know, obviously I could nitpick and come up with anything bad to say about them too. But, you know, like I just think that it's a little, it's a little bit treated like the stepchild when we've been to the Stanley Cup final. We did like Viola has done for the most part, but if you just want to look in the last five years, everything he was asked to do by the NHL to bring them a, a desirable asset. And now the Panthers are one of the most sought-after teams for probably coaching and executives and stuff. But you know agents and players are going for going to Florida, putting them on lists and stuff. We used to be on the no-trade list. Now we're well, on the, the joke t- used to be that players list. wanted to play in Florida, but not for the Panthers. And yes. now they want to play for the Florida now, Panthers. Now they want to because the culture is so strong that they can have fun while winning. I'm not saying it's perfect and it's fully defined and you know they've reached goals and everything. But they can, for the most part, get the job on, uh, done on the ice, and you see them having fun off the ice in appropriate manners. But it still looks a lot more fun than a well, lot of teams. except for that 2022 night in Tampa. But oh well, well can't be on. perfect. I mean, let's let's be honest. That is completely unsubstantiated rumor, and you know, know. we've heard know. like that's the same rumor we heard about. The Flyers traded Brindamore because Lindros and Brindamore's wife. That's the same unsubstantiated rumor of Corey Perry. Corey Perry, you know, yes. like that. It's the same level, and to think that, like that, you know, it has maybe, nothing to do with anything. And, I still find and, it funny. And I and the second thing that I find funny is even if it did happen, that is one of the most tried and true ways for teams to actually get together, bond, and find a winning streak. And they played their best you, game in that series in Game Four. It should be said. Yeah. So whether you like it or not, that that incident, if it was true, which most likely was not true, what is what multiple teams, including the Edmonton Oilers with Wayne Gretzky, I mean, they were crazy. They partied. You know, Gretzky's now on podcast talking about sneaking beers to Russian players behind KGB officials' back you know, the day before games and stuff because they were just at pool parties and stuff. Like, it was – that's just how 
He's let his hair down on media yeah. now. Isn't it well, great? I mean, when you get, I mean, he's basically been brought back into well, base. Well, now that the like, Coyotes thing was taken care of, you know. Yeah, he's been given tenure. But that's that, uh, he's been akin to given tenure. They're like, you were a, <laughs> a bad coach, and you helped run Arizona into the ground. But we need you on TNT. We need you to be funny grandpa with stories. Can you do that? And he's like, yeah, I can do that because he can do that. Being friends with Charles Barkley is at. quite helpful. Like, you know, there's some people who, you know, after they retire, they're more suited and they want to have more desire to be more ambassadors, more on like the fan side, more on commentary, analyst, or more just like, you know, just like hanging around being an ambassador going to games you know showing up for pr stuff and gretzky's kind of like in that area more so than like i think he tried out gm like the executive hockey op stuff the behind the bench stuff and he was like nah i'd rather be like i'd rather goof around with paul bissonette yeah i'd rather some people make decisions i wouldn't make yeah, I'm, and, you know, that's fine. Like, I like the Gretzky that is now. I didn't like Gretzky in Arizona as a coach. Speaking of the so, Coyotes, let's go and talk about the Panthers who just played them, who should be in an outdoor game very soon, to tie all of these random discussions together. And I am going to start with a question. And okay. I know you already know the answer, but for those of you listening, I'll give you about 10 seconds of vamping to figure out who is the only player in NHL history to win the Selkie and Hart in the same year? Think about it for just a brief moment. Play the Jeopardy theme in your head. I really hope we don't get a copyright strike for this, although this is on YouTube. I'm not going the whole 30 seconds, but... Who is the think. only player to win the Selkie and Hart in the same year? Think. think. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll give you a hint. The name of this player has been brought up on this podcast... At least once. At least once. I, I would go would with say... ten times more than once. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you have the answer yet? If you don't have the answer, Sergei Fedorov, which is a fitting player to win both the Selkie and Hart in the same year. He's the only one to ever do it. And yes, why are we and, bringing and, this up? I think the reason is pretty obvious why we're. Bringing and that it up. was in ninety. And that was in ninety four before the cops. Uh, that was around the time Gretzky. Uh, was calling him the best player in the world. Uh, it was also the time where we were having those awesome Penguin Bud Light commercials or Bud Ice commercials. It would be yeah. Bud Ice since it was 94. Uh, I guess you can <laughs> figure out the reason why we're bringing this up. I think we. I think there is... Now, I, I preface this and I couch it in if voters accurately value defense when it comes to... MVP of a team. It Barkov has a legit shot at Selkie and Hart this year. In my opinion, at this pace, he should win the Selkie and be three, four, or five in the Hart voting. And that's me trying to be realistic and not trying to be super biased. If I'm using my bias, he does win both. Because I, I think you can argue... He is the most valuable to his team this year. Kachuk hasn't been the same. There was a lot of injuries in the back end. We've talked about in depth before how 
one of the reasons they've succeeded under Maurice is because Maurice took the roster, fitted a defensive system to the strengths of the roster, and that was the centers. That was using the centers to cover defensive gaps, to do a lot of lifting to on the breakouts, retrieving pucks, you know, just being the spine of the team up and down the ice in all three zones. Barkov obviously stepped up. We've talked about Lundell stepping up in the playoffs. Bennett obviously stepped up to, you know, above his, you know, to his maximum uh, as well with this system. And it's why they have good defensive numbers this year. But it's also why Barkov, I think, has an argument for being a Hart Trophy winner. They build a system and team around him. Talon talked about a blueprint that did just that, built from the back out, you know, had a 1C and, you know, that could play two-way hockey and built around that. And it was Zito who actually made it happen and made it happen on a timeline a blueprint could actually be accountable to. And with that, this team has gone to the Stanley Cup, has won a President's Trophy, you know, before that, but then turn that into winning, uh, going to the Stanley Cup, winning the Eastern Conference Final, winning some hardware. You look at all the wingers that get turned and put on his wing. They're they have incredible numbers. They have career years. Uh, not to say that they aren't good players, but he brings out the players. He makes players better. When they go away from him, they don't always do as well. Uh, you know. For Florida, Barkov is the engine. He's the key. He's everything. And there's the McDavid. There is no McDavid fatigue, so he's probably going to win the heart this year as well. Like, that's just how it is. So there's one. Who who would be number two in in heart trophy this McKinnon, year? McKinnon, probably. Yeah. I mean, McKinnon in 2023 had like 21 more five on five points than McDavid. So, you know, there's definitely an argument there. He's with all the injuries and how he's dragging that team, you know, it's obvious that they need more depth and they don't have as much as some of these other teams. You could argue, uh, I mean, you could argue, I don't know. I mean, there's no one really. I don't think Panarin would be a candidate for the. Oh, Rangers. I think he would be. I, I think he could be. I mean, I I'm not sure. Like, I don't know if he's doing enough. I don't. I mean, like, I don't to win a heart. I don't know. But I think Barkov is up there. I mean, you can't say. That, like, you, you know, the, you can't be like, oh, well, Reinhardt's having a crazy year. That's why he's good. Well, Dreisaitl some has, like, 130 points, and McDavid can still win the heart. So I think it's okay that Reinhardt is on pace for, like, 100. Um, you know, I don't think that's going to take anything away from Barkov when Barkov's a big reason to it. So in my estimation, I don't see any reason – I mean, like, there's Kucherov, obviously, is probably the one we're not talking about. Yeah, he's he's he up there, too, and the Lightning never are not great. <laughs> okay, so I am going to look at Greg Wyshynski. It's under it's behind the ESPN Plus paywall, but I'm just 
I don't usually okay. like to do paywalled stuff, but you I don't. Am going you to don't bring, have to give specifics. Or I'm anything. going to bring up that who the top three are, and he compiles this all the time. The top three, according to whatever he, his formula is, I don't remember exactly what it is. McKinnon, Kucherov, and Quinn Hughes. I'm not sure Quinn Hughes would be in there for me, but I mean, I think Quinn Hughes definitely deserves talk. It's just so much harder for defensemen to win it. I mean, yeah. And I think that, unfortunately, the way the voting goes is the heart is, like, the most important offensive player to his team. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of how it gets voted on. And Norris is, like, you know, the heart for defenders. Yeah. And then you have the Lindsay, which is for, you know, the guys the players think is the heart winner of the year. And then, you know, that's it. But I I really do think that what Barkov's doing puts him legitimately on par with Kopitar, Datsuk, Bergeron, especially if he gets a cup. Especially He's, if he gets a cup, But yes. I think it puts him on that trajectory – Well, I I feel confident in saying this, even though I'm usually not going to be the one who says this for jinxing purposes, because I do believe in broadcasters' jinxes. But when (laughs) he wins the Selkie this year, there is the second place for the Selkie is Sam Reinhardt. So, like, Uh, I, I, I don't know. I think that this is actually a really good year for the Selkie, and I think that really goes to show. Well, because Bergeron's not around anymore, so they don't have a default that they could go to. Although Barkov could be the default. Yeah, and I mean, and to be honest, I think Bergeron. I don't think he got as many free trophies as Messi has with the. Oh God, Dior, but. Um, no, he never got free trophies for the Celtics. He I earned think, it most I, every year, but he but won a I don't bunch think, of them. I don't think it's like Lidstrom, where I think you can't. I think there is there is almost no argument that every Norris Lidstrom won was a hundred percent deserved. He was that guy. I don't know if you could say it. I think Bergeron was was in the running every year, where his pedigree and his likability usually got got him over the line once or twice and reputation yeah yeah and 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 i don't have a problem with that so, so because, who is then two for but, i mean because the guy who most expected would be which was he sure got hurt and that took him out of it my opinion is couturier that's a biased pick i think more more realistically couturier is like a three four guy in selkie um, well, he Jordan was on course Stahl. to win one before the injuries. Yeah, and I mean, he's been fantastic for the Flyers. You, I mean, you can tell that he is still driving the bus in a lot of ways for the Flyers and shutting down and Torts is leaning on him heavily. Coming back from what he did, I mean, he's more likely to win the Masterton the way it's... Uh, and I died. Um Yes, that that great joke. Uh, But, you know, uh, I think it's a better chance to win that than the Selkie, but he'd be up there. I know a lot of people like Jordan Stahl's defensive play this year. Um, You can't – I can't really – I don't really watch Carolina too much because I just don't have fun watching them. I don't like them. Uh, I'd rather watch pretty much any other team than Carolina, but – 
I, I do think that there are some other candidates who will show well, like Austin Matthews. He is the, the Lady of, Bing for two penalty minutes. Yeah. I mean, like, he has the mix of he's good defensively because they usually have the puck. He's usually, you know, he has good effort. He's pretty good defensively. I wouldn't, I don't know if he's actually Selkie level good defensively, but I think he's like that next step down. So, with there, there was else, a push for Mitch Marner and Selkie a while back, but I it's not Matthews, happening this year. I think Matthews is a better defensive player than Mitch Marner. I think Mitch Marner is better at stealing pucks and like he he gets like he does more winger things. But what Matthews has to do as a center defensively is things that M- Marner doesn't have to worry about. And I think when we talk about playing defensive, like to me Sam Reinhardt's better defensively than Mitch Marner. Without a doubt, and that was before this year. I'm just talking like last year when they both were highly thought of defensive forwards. Uh, For me as a winger, you just have to go so far above and basically at times be a center. And to me, Marner doesn't do that. You know, I think he's a good defensive winger, but I wouldn't say he's selfie. Yeah. Matthew's the guy for me that I could say he, he does enough because I see him doing the, little details in front of the crease, picking up sticks, boxing guys out in front of the net, you know, making the, taking a little, you know, taking the hit to make the play a lot more than I see that with Marner. That's that to me, that's what is part of Selkie performance. And that's what I see with Couturier. That's what people see with Mark stone. That's what that, you know, I, you know, Bergeron is, that's what he was known for. And that's why he always had the argument to win it because you could always say, this is a guy who exemplifies what Selkies are for. And if you watch him this year, he did everything right. Mm-hmm. I think it's just so fascinating that we're spending all this time talking about who's going to be second because there is no debate I mean, on who's winning it this year. I, I, you know, knock on wood, I, I do think that he going away and a lot of it is you know who is the start and if you have a good you know first third of the season and they do those you know award stuff and the media's already talking about it making their first kind of you know ballots just for some content uh you know if you're leading there and then you just keep it up through christmas yeah you got a great shot because that's just how human nature works and opinions are formed and stuff Mm-hmm. Early early bird gets the silverware a lot of times. Sure uh, does. Well, I th- and it's award. not as if it's not being earned this year no, for no. for him. He has been. No, and and it could have been earned in other years and has been earned in another year. And I mean, I, but I think that it's despite him in my mind walking away with it. I still think that there there's been good competition this year. Oh, like, no I, doubt. I, I think that because we have just better metrics and understanding of what a defensive player yeah. actually is good at, we are more attuned to it now than we used to be. And with Bergeron being a superstar for the Boston Bruins, you focused a lot on how good his defensive game was. And then everyone then started looking at other players to see 
who is up to this caliber. And at the same time, you have Barkov, you had Andrzej Kopitar, you had, as you said, Couturier. Heischer's kind of in that mantle of uh, one day he will win it. You know what I mean? And once somebody gets preordained as a future Selkie winner... NHL award voting often happens that you're going to give them one. Yeah. It's going to be like, the, the Norris works this way too. Yeah. But like, I mean, I we think... Had the, we had the Drew Doughty's going to win the Norris year, even if it wasn't his best year. Yeah. He, he had to win the Norris. Things and, like that. And a lot of people crapped on Doughty for years, but look, his play this year is, I don't know if it's Nor- Norris winner, but it's mm. Norris conversation. The Kings are really good. And I mean, on that have, subject... And, and Quick is good. For New York, that's Dowdy, Kopitar is good. I mean, I'm just saying, I think a lot of times we see trends in data we that align to over, like tr- we we see a pr- individ- individual performance trends that align to historic trends in overall data. Like this guy, at, you know, is look at all the games played, look at the injuries, they're phasing out. That may be true, or they might just need some time to redial, reset, and the greats find ways to adjust and and make themselves useful in the new game or as they age. And yeah, they might not have been as consistent as Crosby and you know doing as quickly as Crosby, but they found their way back. And just like you know, quick is coaching and you know being on a good team in new york uh i think the kings you know they have a good front office they've been drafting well they did a good rebuild uh, uh rob lake has done a good job there and that's helped you know that gives new life to these players all these young guys coming in i mean kempy's been there for a while um but and they've traded some guys like oh, i follow velardi and stuff who've just kept that thing going and i think it's given time for dowdy to find new passion for the game and hopefully one day after the panthers have won their cup or cups you know we're talking about barkov and kachuk catching their second win because the new core is coming up and all of that yada yada that would be great It'd be fantastic mm-hmm. can i make one point as we transition to something speaking of defense about the panthers that we have to talk about because we've been focusing a lot on defense on this show over the years. Tommy's a defenseman. It makes sense. And we started at the start of the year talking about their defensive situation and how they were not quite there. And obviously last year they really struggled to adapt to the system until eventually they did this year's team from a defensive point of view. They flashed up a graphic during the coyotes game comparing the, I think it was 37 games through and they cut their goals against by, like, 40. It is really incredible how good a defensive team they have become. And there are games where it used to be in the 21-22 season where we had a lot of fun joking about how the Panthers would name their score some nights, saying if they wanted to score seven, they would score seven, and there was nothing you can do about it. This year, if they decide they just want to give up nothing, well, they'll give up nothing. And even against Montreal, they're not a great team. The Panthers were absolutely dead on their feet in that game. And the Canadians had nothing on offense against a dog-tired Panthers team. And their improvement on an individual level defensively, but also a team defense level, Tommy, is... It is really something to behold. And 
The coaching staff deserves a ton of credit. They deserve a ton of credit to the front office for finding players who fit the way they want to play defense, you know? And it also is going to transition into a goaltending topic I want to get into in a little bit. But I want to give them some flowers on just the total team defense that they are playing and how it rivals some of the best teams in the league now. And that is why, even though they're not scoring as much, some of it's bad luck because they don't finish, but we've already gone through that discussion a bunch of why they don't finish their chances in the same way they should. But their team defense is so good that it doesn't matter that they have off finishing nights because even on those off finishing nights, they might only give up one or two and they have enough shooting talent to get two or three if they have to. And they're putting the clamps down on just about everybody. And it's really fun to watch. I I guess the best way to look through this is, well, first give them flowers and give me crow. Um, I have to eat some. I was definitely critical of, some of the assistant coach hires and so, and main and mainly how def- they were going about defense and some of that i think it's been a good f- fit between what zito wants and kind of where they were already kind of going before maurice came in and before even quenville came in um and i for me it's it's best shown through the penalty kill of they've given up two power play done. goals in a month, pretty but, much. But it's also a, a, a show of how the basics and and how the things that we were talking about, what we were asking for on defense, were what kind of. Now they've done it differently. There's many ways to skin a cat so to speak uh but you know the basics of defense and the basics of what florida was lacking and they needed to do to have a repeatable consistent defensive effort were true and that's and again that's shown through the penalty kill one thing about the penalty kill we've always talked about is any nhl player should be able to penalty kill the people who don't penalty kill is because they don't want to penalty kill the coach you don't want them to penalty kill or you know you don't want to risk them penalty killing but every nhl should be able to penalty kill penalty killing is about understanding the system playing to the system and trusting the three others or sometimes two other people on the ice to do their job without looking without you know, you know, just second nature that they're going to be there. And so all your focus is about being pitch perfect with your timing, with your movements and with your effort and just going out a hundred percent of the time being a hundred percent aware, a hundred percent focused. That's all. And that's what it took. So once they were able to get that cohesion, to get that trust, to get on the ice and see it work and to build it up, build that rapport of when this happens, I know 100% of the times Ekman Larson or Forsling or whoever, I don't even need to know who, remember who the other D on the ice is, that D is going to be doing X. I can count on it. I can set my watch on it. 
Florida finally got to that level. It first happened on the penalty kill because, frankly, that's the easiest way time to bring it in. I mean, and, it took them over a year. Let's be honest. Right. Their penalty kill last year, even in the playoffs, was really bad. I don't know if, and maybe this was because Maurice and his experience is like, there's no way we're doing this in w- one year. This is a two-year phase. This is phases through two years, right? The first year, we have to be hard. We have to get the compete. We have to get the endurance. We have to get them used to the everyday accountability and take the team as far as we can. They get, they get, you know, they fall behind. So he really grinds them. He, he gets a lot out of them. They make the playoffs, and then you go on the run, you know, down the stretch. As you know, in end of February, March, April, when they're in that playoff hunt, they're not practicing a lot. They're not like, all right, this is how we're, we're you know, they're just trying to keep guys healthy and you know get through and all of that. They're so focused on making the playoffs. So I can understand why it took a while. And then, you know, beginning of this year, the penalty kill, I thought looked good through training, you know, through the preseason into the start of the season. There are some rough points, but for having a lot of new defensemen, the penalty kill was pretty good. It was just like they just would have brain farts. But But you could tell that they were getting it. And then what we were asking for was to bring that cohesion and to work on and finding the right pairs and everything and work on the D to D support. That was an issue with Mahora and Belinsky's and Mahora, you know, what a lot of the pairings before Ekblad and, and Montour got back, we, we were just talking about the, the D were not supporting each other. They couldn't, there was no dependability. There was no accountability. You could, you had no idea where, your other partner was going to be. You couldn't give them a blind pass. You couldn't, you know, rely on them to be, you know, over your shoulder for a little chip off the battle board, you know, off a board battle to get a break, a quick breakout after a long shift. And that kind of stuff kept coming back and hurting the Panthers. Now the issue isn't now they have the cohesion. They have the defensive cohesion where, well, I don't think it was just Montour and Ekblad coming back. I think it was the time in the system, the time getting to know each other. But I think it was the focus on we have to be better together. We have, we have the compete. We have the effort. We're all pulling the same way. We all know the system. But we're not helping each other. Now the unit is more compact. You know, there's five in the picture, way more. And you look at where the centers and the defensemen are. They're closer together. The passes are shorter. The passes are quicker. <laughs> the passes are more on the tape. You know what's uh, interesting kind of about because... this? I think somebody asked Paul Maurice about the penalty kill uh, at a press conference a while ago. And he made a point to say we, we tweaked it to be a little more aggressive. Because last year I think we talked about it felt very passive. Like they allowed things to happen and reacted. And now they're a tiny bit more aggressive. But they also went out and got somebody like Kevin Stenland who is really good at this, and that allows them to start with him and Losterinen as opposed to, ah, yes, we have to put Barkov out there in every situation because it's Alexander Barkov. He has to be on the ice in the penalty kill, right? Now they don't have to start with that. Yeah. And I think 
there were times when this team has been so reliant on Barkov to do absolutely everything, and he's done that. But now, and last year they didn't have some of those guys. Last year was Eric Stahl, and Stenland from Stahl is an upgrade. And so now they don't have to worry about that as much. Like, they have guys on their... It's some of it's personnel, but also I think they just... They're happier in a more aggressive system than being more passive, because that's how they play five on five. So when you look at... They have more guys on the penalty kill they could trust. There are guys who could play penalty killing minutes for the Panthers that don't. And that's a good thing. It means you have more players, you know, that you can yeah. trust in those situations if one of them's in the box or what have you. And they have their pairs that they like because everything from Paul Maurice and Sylvain Lefebvre runs through pairs, right? They have their guys and yep. they just set them and forget them. And they know, like, even if they give up a power play goal, like, they're doing what they're not having catastrophic breakdowns on some of these goals, even against good, like the Coyotes have a really good power play and they couldn't get anything. Cause the Panthers just did what they did and locked well, them down. Yeah. That is really hard to do on a consistent basis. And they're just they better at it. Now they took away the thinking. Uh, if you, I mean, and they did that five on five too. The defense don't think they just go cause they can trust that whoever's the center, whoever's F three covering for the center is going to be there. Penalty kills, you know you can just go because Stenlin's back there, and you know he knows what to do and fill, and will fill your gap and or you know will win the face off. So I know I'm just beelining this. You know all of that stuff. When you when everything is kind of in rhythm in a flow, and you can just snap the puck around. You can, you know, you don't have to think. That's when you play your best. We've talked about that a lot and how the Panthers have a ton of players. I apologize for interrupting, but this is an important point. Like, we talked about how the Panthers, when they've been at their best, is they're a team that doesn't think. They re they know what they have to do. It's instinct, right? And yeah. it feels like for a long time that was the offense that was very instinctive. The rushing, you know, rushing up the ice, the flow in that way. But now defense feels instinctive to them. Yeah. And but it, that's it, impressive. It, it doesn't mean that like you don't have high IQ players and these you know these players aren't thinking. It's just that you you turn a lot of things into a routine, a habit. Habits, you know, and and you and you know there is so Barkov and these guys when they their thinking is limited to the other stuff. A lot of things are kind of just you know, wrote it's secondhand, it's nature, it's natural. And, you know, they just find themselves in these positions and make, and analyzing and processing where people on the ice and just moving there. It, and they don't even realize it. It's when you have to be like, okay, where, like thinking where you need to be versus, you know, thinking, I don't know how to put it. Like, you're thinking without thinking. It's second nature. It's part of a habit. It's part of a system you trust. And then it's repeatable because and it's, you it's, don't have to ask that question in half a second where, like, should I be there or should I be yeah. here? It's what it's what Carolina's done well. It's what Tampa's done well. Vegas. I mean, all these teams. And it's why they can plug and play with guys. Why te guy, they bring guys in. 
that fit their system and they can pull them up when there's injuries, bump up, and they at least offensively, at least effort, at least, you know, fitting the mold. They might not be able to produce as much as the person they're filling in for, but they come pretty close and they, you know, everything kind of keeps running smoothly. And it's a, it's, it's a testament to being all on the same page. But again, it goes back to a testament to Barkov. Zito doesn't necessarily, isn't picking up Talon's torch, but a lot of the pillars and key tenets of what Talon was doing matched what Zito wants to do, which is why he was a great fit because the pieces were already there. He just had to move them, shape them, and, and manage them moving forward. They found coaches to do that. And it's, I mean, it's working now, but because of all this success, because of the new War Memorial practice facility that looks great, I can't wait to see, you know, the full launch and all the videos and stuff when they, when it's completely done, completely open to the public. You know, we're talking about the money they're spending on the ice with the team, off the ice with the War Memorial. We're talking about the value that Viola has brought to the team and how he, you know, didn't have to pay much for it. This is all, a lot of this is, you know, now we're in the, him starting to get some gravy out of this. Uh, like this is a team that should be continue to move forward. And despite this winning streak, they're still, you can tell that Maurice and the team are still working towards a, a more finished product, a more perfect union. Uh, and that, there is areas that Zito is likely to want to improve. I would love to get more scoring on this team. That can it, They're so dry for scoring. They're basically living off of volume and talent and top guys. And that's only going to go for so long. I, you can, you know, does that mean that they go and added bottom six guy who can maybe score does that mean that they you know find a way to get Kachuk or Lundell or you know whoever going that's on the roster that isn't going do they you know does that just you know Montour Ekblad being added to that like do they go out and try to get a top nine guy whether it's a more under the radar guy like a Frank Vitrano, whether it's a Frank Vitrano when we first got him type player or a Frank Vitrano type player for Frank Vitrano right now at his age and everything. Uh, what, what are they going to do? Because uh, you can tell that finishing still an issue for sure, for sure. Uh, and that's the next step. We talked about the defense, the cohesion, all this stuff, how they added compete and everything and buy-in last year. They grew defense and cohesion on it. They have all the chances. It's just how do they get that finish? Because it'll make things easier for them. They, they're in a lot of tight games. They're in uh, a lot of battles, dogfights, where 
guys like Cousins are getting walloped. Oof. You know, like, that was a game with the Coyotes that was hard fought. Coyotes are obviously a team with chip on their shoulder. They want to prove themselves. Panthers coming into their barn. This is a great opportunity for that. They're doing well this year. They're all up for it. They know the Panthers game is a physical edge. As long as that game is close, it's going to be physical. If it's close for a long time and then it starts getting away, it's going to get real physical. The best thing to do is not let it get physical because you don't let it get close. And when the Panthers can add that to their game, uh, you know, that'll be great because a lot of teams have found that. Toronto can do that. Tampa can do that. Vegas can do that. Dallas can do that at times. When healthy, uh, Colorado can do that. Um, Rangers this year can kind of do that if they're right goalies. You know, I I think there's some enmity. I mean, I've always thought that there's enmity between the Panthers fan base and Rangers fans because how many Rangers fans come to Sunrise, and I understand that. Oh, and I hate that. Oh, God. And I understand it completely. And I and it, it it pains me to say it, but the Rangers are really good. Like they're they're getting year one Laviolette, the best version of year one Laviolette. They are a really good team. Yeah, but I think I mean, for they're... me, but for me, the story for this team, as as we've pointed out, is not as if like you don't want to be in these grinding games every night because not just because it takes a toll physically, but having a couple nights where you win five nothing, you know, or you're winning five nothing after two periods. We talked about that even against like you know Edmonton where they play a really good game and they can rest Barkoff and rest the guys that they need to rest quote unquote at the end of the game that's really important because you know how much he's going to play in the playoffs you know how much all the top guys are going to go and these are incredible athletes but they're still human beings at some point they will run out of steam and we saw that against Montreal like they played a really taxing game against the Rangers and they looked dead on their feet against the Habs they still won but the more blowouts more games where, you know, you're getting four goals on 20 shots. You know what I mean? Yeah. That but, gives I mean, them a chance to rest some of the key guys. These these aren't, like, complaints and stuff. This is us kind of fig- guessing what the next steps well, of How can you get half a percent are. better when you're already yeah. one of because, the top three teams in the East? Because, to be honest with you, podcast, what do we talk about? We want them to take their scoring issues seriously. They started doing that. They started talking about them and acknowledging them. That's the first step. And if you haven't noticed, they started lifting pucks more. It's not every time, and they don't always go in, but they started lifting pucks more. Last night was a great example of being quote-unquote goalied or bad luck. Uh, I forget who the player was, but it was to the left side of the Yotes net. The game was still close. Well, Kesselring putting it into his own net? No, 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 no. It was um, a rebound came out, and the Panthers player got it, shot it quick, and lifted it. And Vomilkov still got a glove on it, or you know, got a limb on oh, it yeah, and knocked yeah, yeah. it out. I don't remember who but it was. But it was heading yeah. up to the upper side of the net, like. But that's that's fine. Uh, that's what we weren't seeing, and I, we you saw that a couple times in the last five games of. Shots that usually would go way wide, hit the side of the net, or be on the ice were, even if they were a little to the center of the net, they were still getting up. It was a change 
you could tell that they've been working or at least acknowledging and like talking about, hey, we need to be mindful. We need to lift the puck, guys. And that's what we were asking for because it was getting that bad. And, uh, you know, I, I also think they've been looking to generate offense in a little different ways. They feel a little bit more rush-like in the I, last I, little I don't, bit. I don't know about that, but I think that they're more willing to go and press forward, press towards the net, even if they're not leading a rush, but in the zone, push to the net and be aggressive, like take it to the house, even if it's just like taking it three steps in and getting a shot, than they were in the past. A lot of times they looked like they weren't going to take it to the net unless everybody else was already at the net or you know, it was wide open or, you know, they moved it around the outside a couple times, then it was time to take to the net. They're much more, uh, in the last couple games, you know, last couple games I've noticed, and it starts with the leaders like Barkov and Reinhardt and stuff, of course, but, you know, this is a team, team-wide notice of their being willing to not wait or not think, not you know, just take steps, take the puck towards the net, towards the center of the ice, and that opens things up for them. It it makes the other team move. And when they move, there's a chance for openings, miscoverage, going to the wrong player, falling, you know, interference. There's that one of the goals McDavid scored, he had five points last night, which you keep hearing about against the Flyers because, you know, the Flyers are just every once in a while still can put out a comical game um, where McDavid's coming in on a rush. I forget who it is. Hyman maybe cuts behind Sandheim who's guarding McDavid and in front of McDavid, kind of like moving pick. Their skates touch. Sandheim falls. McDavid was already like kind of doing a move on Sandheim anyway, but then has all this opening to turn that move into like, a step in for the open shot and just, you know, Hart should have saved it, but, you know, McDavid had a chance to really put everything on it. Uh, And, like, that sort of movement of McDavid just, I'm taking it on this direct path to the net. Obviously, it wasn't, like, a direct path, but I'm moving from this side of the ice to that side of the net ice, and then I'm taking it to the net, and Hyman knows what he's doing, so... I'm moving off of it. It creates that movement. We weren't seeing that. That's a rush example. We're seeing you. You brought it out. We're seeing more of that. But I think we're also seeing it off the wall in the offensive zone. Well, you know cycle. what I'm also seeing from them in recent weeks. Like they're having a couple of shifts a game, where, you know how they had in like when it was Barkov, Yager, and Huberto, and they'd cycle the puck for like three minutes and you couldn't get it off them. It's not like that. But what they're doing is they're getting very physical with players in the corners. You get like two on ones down there and they'd separate the puck and they'd restart a cycle like it immediately would go back up high. They're a lot better at that now. And it's not just Barkov's line doing it because, well, they'll have the puck all the time anyway. But like you would see Losterine and Lundell do that a lot, you know? Yeah, and just and especially those guys had a lot of predictability in their cycle game and stuff like you knew that like if you could just keep them in certain spots like stay in between them and the net in certain spots 
they never the puck would never get moved towards the net. It would always stay on the outside. It would always just get pushed up the wall or down the wall, up the wall or down the wall. And you could dictate what they did with the puck. Now they're dictating what they do. They're trying to have some more deception. They're trying to have some more in, like unpredictability. And it's resulting in the same amount of chances, but better chances, I think. Chances, yeah. er, chances earlier, where you earlier in a shift where you create a higher panic threshold for the team, the other t- the defense is on under more stress. The goalie's under more stress. They're gonna break easier or more often than if you know you're just passing around. You're just kind of doing a cycle, and they're just kind of staying in their formation. You know, if it's a penalty kill or whatever, in their box, you know, in in their diamond, kind of just keeping things in front of them. Yeah, they might get tired because it's 40 seconds of just kind of lapping their zone, but you're not pressing them. You're not challenging them. In soccer, they'd say you're not asking any questions of the defense, you know? And yes, you're not. If you don't ask questions, you're not going to get answers. And in this case, answers is you can shoot from there. You can do that backdoor pass. You can do, you know, you can hit Montour coming in from the tops of the circles and that kind of stuff, which we saw in the playoffs them doing all the time. Like, think about how much they embarrassed Boston, Toronto, and Carolina's defense by just, like, challenging them. Just being like, all right, I'm going to try this. If you can stop me, I can then move. You're leaving a hole here, and I'm going to move the puck there, and that guy's going to go then challenge somebody else. And, you know, or, you know, I'm going to fake their a challenge and dump in the playoffs the was something yeah. to behold at times at yeah. how good it was. And I already saw, like, one Leafs fan. I saw one Leafs fan on Twitter. I don't remember where it was. And they're already like, oh, God, if we have to play the Panthers again, that four check scares me. So, you yeah. know, it's and, kind of in their head now. Well, I think, and one of the ways to best describe it is they've taken that four check mentality and they've, taking it into that's the same mentality we're going to have when we have the puck in the in the zone rather than the maintain possession at and at all costs it's a little bit we we can trust ourselves to push the pace dictate play and still maintain possession well we now not worry if back. we lose it we can get it back exactly we know how to better get it exactly back. yeah I want to transition into goaltending, but a specific goaltending question that I want to spend a little time is on. Is Bobrovsky getting close to Luongo ter- territory? It's not that question, but I do want to point something out about Sergei Bobrovsky. Two things. One of them was brought up by Paul Maurice, and another thing was a thought that came into my head before we started recording. Paul Maurice had an interesting comment on Sergei Bobrovsky that I really liked. I don't remember when it was. And, of course, Paul Maurice extremely insightful in many of these situations and it helps gives us podcast topics to talk about he mentioned how Sergei Bobrovsky's great strength as a goalie is side to side lateral movement he's so explosive right he makes those incredible saves coming across and that's always been his strength but with the Panthers being so much better defensively now than they have been in recent years or certainly since he's been in Florida he doesn't have to make those kind of incredible side-to-side movements as much anymore. And that means he isn't as strained physically as he has been at times in Florida, where I think there have been parts of his seasons where he looks tired. We know this guy works harder than almost anybody else and puts in the work 
every single time he can. Insatiable worker. But even, again, as we've said, these guys could still get tired. And at times, I've you know, we've thought Sergei Bobrovsky's looked leggy. You know? They look yeah. fatigued. And that's fair. But now, yeah. the games that he's playing, even if he's making a bunch of saves and he has to make good saves, he doesn't have to do the same kind of Oh my God, goalie nine one one as Kevin Woodley would say, kind of saves that saves the Panthers bacon and then lets in a soft one. You know what I mean? Because it's not that I he's agree. fatigued anymore. Like, and that is a testament to their defensive system aiding their goaltending better. And it also reminded me that when Sergei Bobrovsky was at his best in Columbus, who was the coach he played for? John Tortorella. And what was Columbus's mo under Torts? Team defense. Yes. And so Compete, we are seeing battle. the best of Sergei Bobrovsky in Florida right now. It's not as if Sergei Bobrovsky was ever really terrible when the Panthers were an offensive juggernaut. He made enough saves when he had to. But what is really noticeable now is that he can be at his best because the team defense in front of him is giving him so many more avenues to make easier saves. And it's not, and it's not like they just put in the CBJ team defense system. It's just the concept of a team defense commitment and everything. The you know the way the defense and centers work is, I mean, like the the same amount of effort and and you know physicalness and all that stuff is required, but it's different. You know, the the D don't activate in that way and stuff torts now is kind of just this year getting into that but there's flyers still have a long way to go and he still has a long way to go with that but he's actively talking about starting that journey now uh but it's just the idea that like it but just like for defensemen and the players it's easier to make passes get out of the zone and everything when you know where players are it's easy for bobrovsky to do his thing when he gets less of, you know, less of the stress and chaos like you talked about, but also, like, he trusts his players now. He trusts and he knows that, like, for the most part, other than the brain farts that Kulikov and some of these guys have every once in a while, there's always going to be a guy on the porch. You, I was watching it last night, and I turned to my wife, and I said, I, like... I said, I, this is one of the few times I can remember, like, I game on game on, like, three games in a row where the defensemen were, like, tied at the hip to each other. One went in the corner, the other was at the net. One was at the net, the other one it was going into the other corner. You know, like, they were out, like, they were moving in unison it was not like a ballet. It was a ballet to me. It was great. It was fantastic. I loved it. Uh, and like that is the kind of stuff we're talking about. When Bobrovsky can handle that, he knows what's expected of him. So what has he done? He's sh- he's shot. He's sh- um, shielded up and closed up some of the gaps and holes and leaks he was having. Five hole and stuff. Ever since last year, he's been huge on breakaways. And, you know, it's not some of these backdoor, like, you know, five alarm running around in the D zone saves and stuff. As you say, goalie 911, which is the best term that Kevin Woodley uses in 
if he says something about goaltending, I'm going to believe him. I like that term like, because I, it, it says everything you need to know, you know? Yeah, but, like, it's just, you know, he can find where he can find his routine, his game into the team system. They don't, And, have and it's to, not as like he's getting the level of shutouts yeah. that some of these teams are had. He's only had two this year, but yeah, it's but like if still, you give up one, it's not fatal because you know – he doesn't have to work as hard to keep the one or two goal games. You know what I mean? Because how many times did you watch Bobrovsky in recent years for Florida when he'd have to work really hard to keep it one or two? And you would trust that the Panthers could outscore their problems. But now it's he doesn't have to work as hard. Like, even against yeah. the a- Rangers, which was one of the most high-stress games from a defensive perspective Florida played all year— it never felt like the high-stress games that he would have to play in previous seasons. Maybe Tampa was a better example of that, where there were points in that game where Tampa just didn't generate anything. And those right. are and Sergei Bobrovsky is a volume goalie. He likes seeing pucks. And there are times when the Panthers are just going to give up one shot in 10 minutes. And he's still sharp. Yeah. And but he knows me... what shots he's going to get. Yes. Like, just... Like, I think knowing that, you know, the difference between sometimes, like, when he'd give up, like, a a goal in the first five shots because it'd be, like, almost the end of the first period or the beginning of the second period, and it's, like, shot four, you know, back the President's Day, Bobrovsky and stuff, he didn't know how his first shot was going to be. He didn't know if it was going to be a breakaway, you know, a breakdown in front of the net, like, a tip, you know, a screen. Now he knows that like most of the shots he's going to get are going to be from these spots. I'm usually going to have a pretty good view of things. Sticks are going to be tied up for the most part, you know, and I know where the bodies are going to be. So I know where the lanes are for my rebounds to throw them in the corners, get them away from danger zones on onto the wall. But this isn't Vesna winning goaltending, but they don't need no. that. No, and but he's that's ninth, perfectly fine. He's ninth in goals against average. He's let me just check. And, I actually I mean, need to look at money puck goal saved above expected, and I'm going yeah, to go do that. And I don't think he's in the top ten for save percentage, of course, but he might be. He, he probably uh, isn't, and, but he doesn't have to be. He is tenth. He is tenth in goals saved above expected according to money puck. Yeah, he's seventeenth in save percentage, but it's tied for fifteenth and. Within three percentage point three zero zero three percentage points of top ten. Well, you so, think about also like this year the save percentage average in the league is like nine oh three. It's not very good, and Sergey well, Bobrovsky's been consistently better than that all year. We, we talked about it on the last podcast how the regular season is changing more than the the playoffs is changing a bit, but it's not changing at the same rate that the regular season is and right now the offense last year and this year in the regular season is on a whole nother level. Like this is, this is like the juiced ball error of MLB right now. We're seeing like, we're seeing guys hit 120. Like it's not just that like McDavid's hitting these points. It's, you know, his teammates hitting this new had a hundred points last year. Yeah. I mean like, they're saying Jack Hughes might hit 120. I, I mean, like, there are a lot, like, the scoring is going up. You're seeing way more regular season g- games that have above seven goals total. Mm, You're yes. seeing a lot more games where 
one team has more than seven goals total. And that's I'm not saying it's bad for the game or anything, but it it's just the way the game is going. So for me, Bobrovsky is his form. His form is great. Most of his games are quality starts. He's giving his team a chance to win. He's making the saves he should make most nights, and he's always throwing on top of, of that saves he probably shouldn't make. And, you know, you look at the old school numbers with, like, goals against and save percentage, he's doing pretty good. You look at the new school numbers, he's doing pretty good. Team defense, doing excellent. Stolars. Can I make a point about Anthony Stolars? Because this is where I wanted to go with this. Yeah, great. Love it. So, he is currently right now, according to Money Puck, depending on, you know, this is not Stephen Valaket's numbers, which are probably better than Money Puck or Natural Statric or wherever you want to look. He's yeah. at 4.1 goal saved. Yes, with Woodley. With- he's at 4.1 goal saved above expected. He's been perfectly solid this year as a backup goaltender. He's around there with Vimelka. He's actually close to Vasilevsky's numbers, too. And a lot of teams need goaltending. I think we know that because, well, we're hearing it and we're watching games and we're seeing a bunch of teams that are good just leak goals like a sieve. So one of the things I came into this show wanting to ask is if you get an offer that is a reasonably good offer for Anthony Stolarz to go somewhere, would you take it? Because when you think about what the Panthers need to get at the trade deadline. It's obviously not goaltending. They don't have cap space issues because they've managed their cap really well, as we talked about all year. But they have something teams want, and they could get a really nice asset if they wanted to trade Stolars. But would you do that? Because my answer is no. I have a... It's a great question, and I'm I'm chomping at the bit here. Uh, So my question to you is... Who would, what would be your, who's filling Stolarz's role? I mean, the common perception would be Spencer Knight, but I don't think that if they were to do this, and again, I preface this by saying, I don't think they're going to, they're doing this for a reason. Like there's a chance it wouldn't be him. Like Weber could end up getting called up, but he's unproven. He's not played in any NHL games. Knight has. But I think now would Spencer Knight be better behind this version of the Panthers as opposed to any other version of the Panthers he's played behind? Yes, because they give up less quality. But there's also part of me that is just saying at this point, he just needs to get reps in the AHL and get as many as he can. And even when the Panthers are going down the stretch and they're not going to be playing the most meaningful games in the future because they're going to be in the playoffs at this point you're not going to be giving Spencer Knight a ton of games because they're going to want to get Bobrovsky in that rhythm and they have the pattern they want to establish, right? He's only going to play in certain games. Like Stolarz is going to play in St. Louis, for instance, after going Vegas, Colorado, where Bobrovsky plays, and then it'll be Stolarz. He'll play on the back end of back-to-backs, things like that, right? I guess, I guess, yeah, I I mean, (laughs) I agree with you. My answer would be, my number one objective with goaltending right now is Spencer Knight in the AHL all year. And I think that's why Stolarz is not going to get traded. I'm more inclined to trade Spencer Knight than Anthony Stolarz at the t- trade deadline, if you're asking me. Or at the draft, because Stolarz will be gone after this year. Um, but for me, Spencer Knight 
is hovering just over nine save 900 save percentage in the AHL, 17 starts. Um, he He's had some great nights. He's had some bad nights. He's had a lot of pretty good nights. I want the average night not to be pretty good. I want it to be dominant in the AHL by the end of the year. I preferably don't want him in the NHL until the Charlotte Checkers season is over. And if you're telling me, listen, we have like they do there, we do have a lot of goalies and a lot of defensemen. I don't want to give up a goalie. I don't want to give up a defenseman, but I can understand why they would give up a goalie or a defenseman or a goalie and a defenseman to just help alleviate some things. You can't, carry these numbers forever right that's just some of the issues well i mean it helps replenish assets which they don't really have but also right but i mean uh, i mean more so than that but uh, yeah exactly but what i mean the thing with stolars is he was brought in because he was perfect for what they needed which was a guy who was fine being number two i I'm in. I'm still unsold on Stolarz's performance this year. His form is questionable. His talent and what his role is and his fit, I don't think is questionable. The the return, I have no idea what it would be. I don't know if they would get anything valuable back for him. Mm, you know what? I so think- many teams are goalie needy, and again, he wouldn't be a starter for most teams. But like, if you're a team that just needs guys to stop the puck from going in. But I think that there's enough of those guys around that if you're paying that cost, you probably level up to a better guy. Or, you know, like there's a good chance, a good chance the Flyers might move one of their goalies. It could be, you know, they have three goalies, and I think, you know, they would. Sandstrom would be if you you would be the most realistic to get and would be a fine NHL backup, and you know would probably be cost just as much as Stolars. Well, I I think and, about who would be in you know, that category. Like it feels like the Canadians are going to trade one of theirs. They're they're going to have to, and they might. Yeah, I it feels like the Sharks might like Kakinen's not been bad so. But again, he's unproven. You feel like the 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 Blackhawks might trade Mrazek at some point. Like right. so I don't like, think I that don't, it ever gets to Florida. But it's something that I I thought about because when it was brought up on Hockey Night in Canada and Elliot Friedman brought it up, I'm like, you know, they could consider it. I don't think they will because they have a plan, and I don't think they want to deviate from it unless they get blown away. I think the market's going to be just as hot in the summer. So and the and the and the real home run move would be Knight. If you're going to make that move, it's Knight. Because if you look at Bobrovsky and you think, listen, he's going to ride it out, and we got, I mean, Weber is doing pretty good. He's doing just as well as Knight in six less games in the AHL. You still got Guzda, who can't get games in the AHL, but when he does, puts up better numbers than both of those goalies. You have goalies that you keep drafting, and you know they're going to be good. You know they can find goalies. I like that they were able to go and bring in Stolars. I thought that was a good sign that they can 
pinpoint a problem and address that specific problem in goaltending uh, on you know a budget and on a quick timeline. So I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't touch it to be honest with you unless it's night for a scorer, and I don't think that happens until after the season where night goes a full season and they can say listen between the playoffs and regular season here's 70 games or something of night you know game in and game out he's giving his team a chance to win the potential's there he's ready you know i don't know well because it's really interesting what you think about i mean we don't have to talk future right now because the present's pretty good but when you think about bobrovsky like some of us thought at this point he was going to be bought out or moved because of, you know, it's Bobrovsky, yeah. and that's what everyone was talking about. But the way things are going right now, uh, that might not happen. They might not need to do... Look, they're not giving him the, the value that I mean, they signed on the contract, but they don't need to do anything if he's going to keep playing like this. He, at, at best, at best, what I would recommend is you don't do anything with the goalies. You let Stolarz walk at the end of the year unless he, like does something heroic in the playoffs or something that... Well, they still let Alex Lyon go. Yeah, I, well, I mean, he didn't do anything heroic in the playoffs. This is true. Um, not to put anything bad on Alex Lyon. He's on my fantasy team. I, He's I the best it, Red Wings goalie. He is, and I thought it was a great career decision he made to go to Detroit. I totally understood it. I thought it made sense from both angles. Anyway, um, like to me, I would keep all the goalies. I let Stolarz walk, and at minimum, you... Knight has to earn it next year. He has to he has to come out of camp and earn backup. Earn you know, like that's where Knight is. Like you, he has to prove that he's worth going through the hoops to get rid of Bob or to putting your eggs in that basket. Because right now there's no eggs in Knight's basket. The goal is to get Knight back to the point where He's happy, he's healthy, and he's performing where you get to make the decision on is he part of the future or is he a trade ship? And until then, it's all about just doing what's best for his career and him as a person because you don't know whether he's going to be on your team or not. But either way, you do right by the kid and you do right by the prospect because it'll net your team the best result. I I don't disagree with you. I wanted to bring it up because it was something I've been thinking about for the last few days. And knowing how many teams need goalies in the league right now, it's something you have to think about because the Panthers have bodies back there. I mean, like, I'm fine with not doing anything to the defense or goalies. If you do something for the defense, it's to maybe bring in a veteran right guy that Maurice, right-handed guy that Maurice can trust just in case Ekblad or Montour get hurt again. Because you know they don't like Casey Fitzgerald. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I don't really think he's an NHL or, or, or on the Panthers either. But, um, you know, they don't have any righties. Or, like, to get a guy like Tobias Bjornfoot, who's waived by the Kings. If he goes through wave, now I don't expect him to pick him up on waivers. There's a logjam contract issue. The Panthers just can't do it. But if you pass through waivers, I would hope Florida would maybe try to say, hey, do you want to trade like a mid-pick and Lucas Carlson for Bjornfoot or, you know, like what, you know, what gets it done? Because they can put Bjornfoot in the minors. They, they have no tro- problem, you know, there. Um, so that, you know, 
But other than that, keep the defense, keep the goalies because it's a position of luxury. And the plan is to be playing 20 plus games this postseason 18, 20. You know, I want to play more than 16 games this postseason. You know what's interesting for me is that I didn't expect on January 3rd to be saying it's more likely the Panthers finish first in the Atlantic than they finish third. Like, I think they're at better than 60% odds that they're going to have home ice in the first round, which I did not expect this year. I Maybe. I'm not sold. I think what they've done is they've they've done what they set out to do, which was put themselves into a very good playoff position in the one of the division spots, one through three. I don't think they really. I think that's what they were just going. Well, they don't care that if they had to start on the road, they wouldn't care. But I'm just yeah. pointing out but, that they uh, could no, easily no, I, get home ice now. Yeah, no, I think they could too. Um, and to me, it's you got Bobrovsky. He's 35. There's two years left of him after this. You have uh, to me, it's that's the window is three kicks at the can. And you maybe have to change goalie for the third kick. That's how I see this. And and I look at this team. They're adaptable. They're resilient. They're talented. They're good. They're able to, you know, get through and make it through a lot of things and keep pushing. They like each other. Everything's going well. I don't need to throw. I don't need a... Giroux, Sherratt, you know, that sort of like first round picks. But I think that they're, I don't even know if you have to do what Vegas did and get a Barbershev and all this stuff. But I think that you can maybe bring in a bottom six guy to, to waken up the bottom six and get more goals that way. Um, you know, like L- Stephen Lawrence, like that's a guy I would not be against moving in a trade somewhere. Nick Cousins. Yeah, Nick Cousins. Well, Cousins, I, I, He's I see less likely to move in season. I think they're just going to let him walk at the end of the year. Probably. But I think he's kind of a glue guy, and he's a guy that he wouldn't care if he sits out. He's not – like, he understands this is his chance at a cup. Uh, and He probably should be sitting the way his game has gone at times this year, but another discussion. Yes, yeah, but, uh, you know, he is going to be sitting now. Uh, uh, how many protocol. games is Jason Zucker going to get for that hit? I don't know, but he should get a lot, and I'll tell you why. Because, listen, I'm no Cousins fan. Neither but of us you, are. If you watch it, Cousins is probably a f- two feet away committed to the hit when the Coyote guy goes down to a knee. Val you can, you can. Oh, I love Val Mackey. Don't want him hurt. He didn't seem. He didn't seem phased what one bit by the whole thing. Um, maybe, maybe it's because of concussion. I don't know. But um, so I thought, like, you can tell he tries to pull back. He tries to avoid the head and get around it. You can say maybe he didn't do it in the best way and everything, but it's a momentary reaction. And he's, we already discussed he's not the brightest of players when not, it comes to those not, situations. But no. he, did, he did best, and his immediate reaction was to see if Valimaki was okay. And immediately after he checked on Valimaki, Zucker comes from 20 feet away and slams him from behind, stares down over him, like sees that he's like really out of it so he doesn't like go after him more. I guess you Gus can give him credit for that. Gus Forsling jumped him. That, that's, yeah. that's, that's crazy. Well, 
given who was on the ice with Barkov and Lostranen and stuff, it, I that yeah, it makes sense. Lostranen was he's going to be fighting with Ryan Lomberg in a couple of weeks. I, Good luck with that yeah. one, son. I think Barkov eventually will fight somebody in something, but it's a guy. Oh, it's got to, he's got to be fighting somebody else's star, you know? Yeah, but and you don't want and like. No, I don't want him. You fighting, don't want him fighting. Like you, I'd rather Forzen Matthew Kachuk fight. can get into yeah. fights. You know, yeah. and he and will. Forzen, I mean, like Barkov's hand just cannot take punching. No, it's someone. already been broken. Like, I just love that Gus Forsling. So it was not the kind yeah. of guy who would ever do something like that. Yeah, but I mean, just it like, just goes to show you what I'm talking about. Like I, like this is a team where, you know, they 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 should win a cup. They should keep going for it. They should keep adding. They should keep evolving, improving, doing what's best for the team, uh, and going for it because everything, most of the pieces are there. All the intangibles are kind of there. They've had a good improbable run. They've, you know, they can find a, they can beat adversity and injuries and um, guys stepping up and and overcoming. You know, naysayers, they, you know, can come back from being down in series and everything. I, I think they need to full send. And I don't mean that recklessly in the first for Ben Chirot, unprotect, an unprotected first for Ben Chirot. I think uh, that isn't really going for it. That's temporary insanity. And, I, you know, that's the one real strike for Zito. Other than that, uh, he has a pretty spotless record. Oh, yeah. So uh, I'm Paul Maurice, gonna, we thought was going to be a yeah. blemish. No, it turned out but, that that might be his best decision um, he's ever made, which I, I do want to get to the Flyers because I want to talk briefly on them. We did last time we did a show. I want to well, give him I a mean, few minutes. Torts would have been, I, I think he's showing that he he would have been a decent option for Florida You've as well, this, as I said. And I mean, I, I get you, why you, you would think it the way that they're going it, now. But, I mean, there's you could say that, you know, it's still different personalities you know, you could say one fits Philadelphia better than one would fit Florida. You know, I think Maurice and his kind of style of talking and walking people through things and kind of having more of a conversation and a dialogue wouldn't always be the best in Philadelphia when things go wrong. Um, they would like that he yells and curses and hates refs and stuff too, but I don't know. If, you know, like Torts is, I think everybody ended up where they should have ended up. So. Um, that's, that's my thought. And with torts and the flyers, it's just been, when is it going to stop? It's like, it makes sense. Reinhardt's going on a heater and everything, but that's one guy taking passes from Barkov on a team that's really going well and should be going well. How are the flyers at a team level keeping up this heater? Like, are they that good? Like, is this like, do you not feel that in this little stretch in Alberta, you kind of starting to see a little bit of those flaws? I mean, Edmonton's Edmonton. Yeah. I mean, but how many, how many of them are like? Now this is, we have to have a real talk about this. The illness is going around, and is there actually COVID in the NHL? Is there not? Um, because a lot of guys are having a lot of long sicknesses. And they're being hush-hush about it. And, like, the sicknesses are just kind of hanging around the team for, like... I mean, the Flyers and the Panthers probably had a month and a half, almost two months of injuries just sitting in a locker room where the injury was flu, pneumonia-like, 
non-name. There, there, I, I mean, what it, whether it's COVID or not, to, there's a nasty flu bug yeah. going around right yeah, now. And I know something. a bunch of people that are getting it. So there's, some, there's something. And, you know, that's hitting the flyers right now. I mean, connect me had to leave a game. Hart had to leave the game uh, due to exhaustion and stuff. Cause they're just so dehydrated from being sick and they can't, they, even with all of the IVs and all the stuff that they can do, they're still not getting pumped in enough fluids to handle it. That's how sick they are. Um, and so maybe it's that, but maybe it is the, the wrinkles. I still think that the pace that they're on, which is a wild card team at the end of the day is still a lot higher and is going to put torts in the probably the second level of Jack Adams conversation of guys well, that congratulations to Rick Tockett, who has already won it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in graduation on Quinn Hughes on the Norris uh, yes, they, and the, that kind of stuff. Those two are but. already locked in. We we should, like, again, in another world, Paul Maurice would get credit for, you know, the Jack Adams for what he's been doing, but it'll never happen, so. Um, he might. I mean. I would put, I would, if, again, if I was voting, I would put him on my ballot. I don't think he would give him the win, but I'd put him on my ballot because I've been yeah. really impressed with what he's been able to do this year. From a lot of these different perspectives, but and Torts probably would be too. I um, this this year more than last year for Maurice. Oh, absolutely, this year more than last year for Maurice. But I think what Torts has done is he, I actually watched one of his press conferences. I usually only watch the Maurice conferences if there's something interesting I want to hear him talk about. Because most times coaches don't say anything interesting unless you're Paul Maurice and that's just who you are. But for me, I watched a Torts press conference and he talked about you know trying to be more of a physical team and how that gets you wins this time of year. Like the reason why I think it might be going better for him than it might have, you might have conceivably thought is because who are the teams that are really struggling to get out of their own way right now? The run and gun teams. We talked about this before the senators. I mean, that's hilarious. I do want to talk about them briefly at the end of the show. Buffalo, we, we mentioned that. When, when do the Brady Kachuk is coming to Florida to see to be with his brother and win? <laughs> I, I can't wait for those trade rumors to start. Those will be very funny. I mean, but the, I wanted the, to... the fan questions on Reddit joke jokingly have already started. Oh, they they have. Good for yep. good for them. But I want to. But like the run and gun, the Devils are having issues because well because they can't get saves. But you, you know those well, teams right talked, now are we not. Just, we just talked about goaltending and stuff. There might be a reason why it's harder to get saves from their goalie the way they play. Edmonton, like Edmonton, is kind of having it, but that's always been the case with the Oilers. Like when you talk about teams that play a little bit more playoff adjacent type style. You know, Vegas certainly does. I think the Kings are really good at that, and they've been one of the best teams in the league this year. You know, those kinds of teams, and the Bruins are still first in the East, right? Those kinds of teams are still doing really well. It's not the run-and-gun teams. And there's always a natural evolution of playing styles and tactics, but I do think playoff light, you know, diet playoff hockey in the sense of the physicality of knowing when to be physical, of knowing how to be, you know, right on the forecheck. If you get your team to buy into that and you get your team to play a decent enough version of that, you could be a better regular season team than you'd be given credit for. And Torch's teams always end up around the bubble anyway. Like, that's just how it works. But I think that's kind of why the Flyers are, are finding more success because they are a little bit more like the teams at the tip top of the standings right now, 
as opposed to these other teams that are really finding it hard to evolve. Because when you talk about a physical forechecking type team, defense also comes along with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and it's 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 one of those things where I mean, it's like this maybe with anything. It takes a while. I mean, it's hard for Jack Hughes to really learn this. He I don't think he went to college. He played juniors and in juniors he was on a team that danced around everybody and he's young enough and g- insanely good at skating where he can just dance around everybody. But there are times and there are situations where, you know, there's a different style that he's going to have to adjust as he matures, as he puts on weight and can handle that style. And I think he will be able to. I mean, I, I'm i not the biggest shoes fans, but I do think that they're good NHL players. And I top, am really interested players, to see but. how the Canucks do in the playoffs when this stuff. I mean, Tockett is a good enough coach to get them to play yeah, that but way. I mean, but like, how is are, that going to work if they play Vegas or LA? Like, they're one of the few teams that is high event and. I mean, they're showing signs of crack, but cracking. But you know, they they from the outside appearance. If you're not really watching the games, they don't you don't really have concerns. You're like, wow, this team's doing great. Oh, you know. I mean, I think there's been enough talk about the Canucks breaking PDO this year that yeah. people are are, are understandably but, I mean, thinking about that. But you you look at their core. They have a good core. You look at some of their complementary pieces they can be good and Ronick right now is being good. Okay, they might not be they might not be too far off of their PDO. Yeah, they might not be whatever it is now, but they're they they might be pretty good. I mean for me the West uh is interesting. Um Congratulations to whoever has to play the Oilers as a wild card team if they get in. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point it's, you know, McDavid was awoken and has something to prove to get into the playoffs. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be tough to get out of the wild card for him. But I do think that he's going to be in the their team's going to be in the wild card. Are, but are you I not think excited Kings... about? Oh God, Edmonton, Colorado in the first round. Oh boy, um, the Panthers are playing the Avalanche, and I can't wait for that game because they're always. Fun. Oh, that'd be fun, and it's a good time to play for the play the Avalanche. They're having some issues. Uh, Georgiev is melting down at his team right now. I don't want to say he's like vocally melting down at his team, but well, it wasn't like what Devontae said. Well, no, but I mean, like they're they're having an issue where they're doing. I think the issue is clearly they haven't had the luck Zito has with acquisitions. Let me pull up their cap friendly. I'm on the Panthers now. Let me see if I can get to the Avalanche. Here we go. Yada yada. Um, but you know they break. They won a cup because they had the core and they brought in the right acquisitions that fit the team. The Chuskin, Lekkanen, you know, Manson, yada, yada. They had Burkowski. Yeah, yeah. Now they've lost a couple of those guys and everything. And the guys that they've brought in, Ryan Johansson, Ross Colton, Miles Wood, Jonathan Druin. They They already got rid of Tatar. Yeah, but they're not... 
they're not doing enough that's allowing the avalanche to basically have not have these breakdowns. They're not deep Every, enough. They're not deep enough. So there are going to be these nights where teams can shut down McKinnon or can hold them off enough, and everybody else doesn't rise to the occasion. Well, that was I the think, playoffs last year. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think that it's, it's fixable. Uh, you know, it's to me, it's can they move around some of their money? Uh, can they move around some of these guys and, and get lo- better luck or, you know, identify better fits or better talent to come in here? Um, but, you know, they also, if, if it can't go on longer, they're gonna have to do something because. They don't do what Maurice does. Maurice separates Barkov and Kachuk to at least have that balance so you get beat up on less. Just You might not beat up on others as, mo- as much, but you're going to get beat up less. The first line for the Avs is Nachuskin, Rant, and McKinnon. The second line is, like, everybody else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, their second line center is Johansson... Druin, you know, is up in there, and and Ross Colton sometimes is the second line center, and you know, but it's not, it's not sustainable. I they need to go out and get somebody who can be a center that would allow them to move a guy like Nachuskin down without wasting him. Right now, they put him with the center they have on their team. Wasted. They got to have Nachuskin up with somebody of value. And I don't think you're going to have McKinnon and Rantanen separated because McKinnon needs someone who can fly at his speed and handle the puck in the same softness as him. So that kind of with their injuries and stuff, Landeskog skating, but I don't think he's coming back this year. He's the, <laughs> yeah. This might be less of an issue next year, but, you know, it sucks that Lekkonen's out. You know, they, but they have to find somebody, a glue guy like Lekkonen, that's a center to make it work. A Sam uh, Bennett would, type. Yeah, Sam Elias Bennett. Lindholm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a rumor. I mean, I think, you know, they would even, I would think they would even, like, Maybe they can do something with, I don't know, Montreal for Monaghan. I don't know. Yeah, like, but that would be least, going in the same sort of but area. At least, at, least, at least it's a guy that's performing right now. You know, performing enough right now. Um, yeah, but, like, they, they, they have more points than Florida does, but it feels more fragile. It is, it is fragile because at the end of the day – they know that in a seven-game series, they're too volatile. And, too and top-heavy. And, well, and game-to-game, game, they're too volatile. You, They can't go into a third period expecting to hold the lead anymore. That's an issue, especially when it comes to the playoffs. You know? So from... Or they... When they were going into games, they can't expect to be not down after the first period. They don't have as much control over dictating the game, even as much as they did in years that they didn't win the cup. And going through the cup 
battle and stuff, that's all their focus is now. McKinnon is it's about how many. Right? All these guys is about how many. McCarr, how many? And that's their only focus. And they would love to get Girard, to move a guy like Sam Girard in that cap hit to get a center of around that same cap hit back. Yeah, they, 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 I'm interested to watch how it goes against Florida. And to end this show, because, again, it's another Y Hockey long special. These happen all the time. Thomas Krulikowski will speak to you all about the World Juniors and bemoan and remember the plight of a Canadian World Junior team <laughs> that lost with 11 seconds to go in regulation yeah. in the quarterfinals. Oh, man. I mean, I feel bad for the kids, and I don't... You know, it's not like, oh man, I wanted more out of these kids and everything like that. It's other than Celebrini, I guess, who has. I mean, yeah, really Celebrini was good, but one. I mean, he also didn't. They, they, one goal would have made the difference. He didn't get the goal either. You know, like, and to be blunt about it, that's how Team Canada operates, and that's how Team Canada should operate. That team was good enough to medal, for sure. They didn't do it. I thought the coaching staff, that's where I would draw, have the issue. I know a lot of people are taking it out on Fraser Minton. I don't take it out on Fraser Minton, but I do ask the question, why was Fraser Minton stapled on the first line? There's guys that have are playing better this year in the same junior leagues as him. There, you know, like the, there's guys that were playing better at the tournament than him. There's and and Canada is a team where you have basically two first and two second lines. And the guy the guy that you call up to come over to Sweden because of an injury to Matt Savoy is probably as good as half of the guys on the team anyway. Like, that's how good Canada is. Canada could field a second team that I would probably have the same expectations of, which is winning in the semifinals and getting, I mean, to the in the quarterfinals and getting to the semifinals. Like, I, I think right now, there's a second Canada team. They would probably beat Finland in the in like a group. Finland and everything. feels and, down this year, and yet you know, still like, in the semis. But like Canada should have those expectations. I don't think they tried enough. I don't think that I. The issue with Canada is every once in a while they get a group, and for whatever reason they get a group that doesn't think that bad things are going to happen, that they're going to have to work through things, and they're not prepared for it. And it's such a short tournament, and you might be in inside the middle of a game when this happens, when you have this realization, oh, no, we're not ready for this, and it's over. And that's kind of what – I mean, Canada had the, their scare in the group stage. They should have been ready for it by the time it happened with Chechia, a team you can't take lightly. This is a country that's won a gold medal in recent memory. The kids that on this Chechia team think about Dominic Hasek, one of, if not the best goaltender of all time. Think about Yarmir Yager. One of, if not the best wingers of all time. That's who they, that's in their cultural memory. This is a team that's meddled well, and they have draft picks. They have good players. What are you doing not showing up for that game? What are you doing not, you know? And they lost. Big deal. But that is why the World Junior Championship is amazing to me. That's why it's my favorite thing because there are programs, there are age groups that you see going through the U18s and the Ivan Holinkas and all of this. And, you know, like Sweden, 
they brought a younger team last year to get ready for this year because they were hosting, and there's all these context, contextual stuff. Chechia has focused on making their national program great, and look at what they can do. Switzerland at times have done the same thing, and they've done well. Look at Germany, and look at all the great players they've given us. Latvia has a Florida prospect who is named one of their best three players. Now, do I think he's going to be a top six guy in the NHL? No. But do I look at him and say, wow, this is a guy that has a shot at the NHL? And, and you know, when he plays against teams like Canada, Sweden, and all this stuff, does not look out of place? Absolutely. And that's great for Latvia. I don't understand the idea that, like, there's talk. Ray Ferraro is talking on TV, I mean, on a podcast or whatever, about how, like, you know, the, the quarterfinals are the worst rap game of the tournament and all this stuff. And, you know, there's the, some teams have so much pressure and the other teams have no pressure because, like, they're not expected to win and how, you know, you don't get the best teams in the semis and all that and boo-hoo-hoo and all that. Team Canada, if you're, an NA, if you're on Team Canada, your career – has already had the same amount of pressure you face right now probably and is going to only have more because you're a first or second round draft pick <laughs> like or about to be I don't get it man like this is this is great this is great we're in Europe and Chechia beats Canada Sweden almost lost to Switzerland goes to overtime because they got they took the Swiss too lightly and Swiss and here's the thing I don't get. These are Canada saying, we don't want these programs. If they even like remembered how these programs get developed, Latvia, Switzerland, Germany, all these programs are developed by using Hockey Canada playbooks, using Hockey Canada personnel, coaches, former players, their leagues, give job opportunities to the Canadians who aren't good enough for the NHL and don't want to just stick around the AHL forever and want to sightsee and want to go to Europe and see, you know, what that's all about. Uh, you know, there's so many more jobs because of these countries getting to play in these tournaments. Those leagues wouldn't exist if Latvia, like there wouldn't be a pro Latvian league. There wouldn't be, you know, these multiple levels of the Swiss league, if they weren't able to be in these top tier tournaments, if they were one a or whatever that the next tier down is, they wouldn't have the money. They wouldn't, the money wouldn't be there from the governments, from business, from sponsors. If at the junior and at the under 21 and the men's level, they were not on the big stage. It just wouldn't happen. These tournaments are going to be blowouts. And like, yeah, At ahead, times, whatever happens, and, it, and and somebody pointed out, it reminds me of the when the U.S. women beat Thailand like thirteen nil in the World Cup, and I'm just like, I hate these debates, well, man. They're so stupid. Do you remember when Spain beat Brazil like seven one in the semifinal of a that World Cup? That was Germany Cup? beating Brazil. Or, or what? Oh yeah, whatever. But like, like blowouts do happen. Like they, sometimes they do happen. That's why I'm not all up in arms about, you know, the more blowouts in regular season in the NHL. Like, I don't care and, and that much about it because it happens. Yeah, there are some programs that have more money than others. Congratulations. Latvia is a small country. 
it is about the same size as oh i don't even know like it might have less population than just bc does i mean this happens you got to expand hockey to other countries, man. It's time. And you Latvia's do this. goal, Latvia's goal, might might only be to get a medal one day, you know, and that's fine. Like that's an admirable goal, achievable, and they can do it. And then maybe they go from there. But like, this is the same. Like, if USA did not have the population that they we do we would be like the latvia countries we would if we had the same amount of people as sweden or finland or even canada we would not be as good as of a hockey nation as we are because the money the focus you know all the best athletes and everything don't always go to hockey in this country still don't still won't in the next generation it's getting better but like that's just. Did you not facts. see the uh, the athletic predict the rosters for the U.S., Finland, Canada, I did. and I did. yeah, and USA is really good. God, that lineup scary in it. It's a huge like one of the and one of the things that has always been talked about. I we're not the first one. American Wyshynski talked about this with the World Cup and all this stuff. How and like pre Austin Matthews in his draft year and all this stuff. How. USA is going to be a juggernaut. They have to be. The NHL is in majority in the USA, and there's so many people. And the way that the USA registrations and the way the game is growing, it's just going to happen. They're going to be a, a legit threat in the top four. To be, you know, like they're going to win medals. They're going to steal medals from Canada. All that stuff. And they don't have to be as picture perfect as Finland and Sweden. Like Sweden and Finland to win goals and to have, you know, the USA is going to be more like Canada where yearly you're just going to expect them to always get a medal. Sweden and Finland, like there's going to be ups and downs, cycles. They're going to put, you know, they're going to have to rally around good age groups and cater to them and that kind of stuff to, to get their medals and stuff. Because uh, we're always talking about how Connor McDavid hasn't had a chance to play international hockey. I mean, Barkov got injured in that one Olympics, but that dude was 18 when he played in that Olympic, that Finnish yeah. team in Sochi. You know, he's like, he hasn't gotten a chance to play elite international hockey. And I would like to see that because could you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's a, it's, it's, I mean, it's a shame because you think he would have had a long Olympic career. He's the youngest player to score. In world junior, modern he's the youngest world player junior, to score in the NHL, and he's the youngest player to score in the modern NHL. He was one of the younger players to be in the Olympics, you know, especially post where now it's all NHL players and an NHL nation like Finland. He's definitely, you know, at, at that age was one of the youngest ones, and he would have had a long career. It's a shame. It's it's was basically because hockey related revenue was a terrible concept mm-hmm. we did not get the olympics well i'm just glad that we saw uh most predictions have low strain and lundell but, on the same i line. mean that was good there's there's a lot like you can say and i mean i'm negative net all the time so i get it but like you can say oh we didn't get to see mcdavid internationally but we have seen mcdavid more on the ice in the nhl than most generational players we've ever seen like, think about it. 
Eric Lindros and Forsberg, like the amount of games played that McDavid's played, it's it's Lindros's last year in New York. It's Forsberg's last year in Philadelphia. Their careers are already pretty much over. They're playing out the string. He's got 900 points in 602 games, and yeah. he missed most but of like, the year. Well, that was the only year he really missed. There was another year he missed well, like I mean, six or he seven lost games. Of, he lost games because of COVID, but that doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, everybody lost games to COVID. He he has four years where he's played every game of that season. That's astonishing when you look at guys like Crosby and all that stuff. Like Crosby had, no oh, God, yeah, a, missed a year and a half just at one point. Like Marco Rossi has already missed more games in his NHL career. Than Connor McDavid. Now that from, is a reason you from, should listen an hour fifty-seven minutes into a podcast because I didn't yeah, know that. Like, That's a great stat. Like that. Like McDavid has been blessed, and it's good for the NHL and it's good for us that he's had that. The only thing he hasn't been blessed with is the up management and ownership of the Edmonton Oilers and the NHL allowing them to constantly abuse first round pick first overall picks uh and and, and you know, on that note yeah but i i mean going into the semis tomorrow i i mean sweden's my team i called that off the hop i said canada is always the favorite they always have to be treated like that they're out now usa becomes the favorite they have though shown that they haven't been tested yet that's not their fault but They've been a run-and-gun team. They haven't had to really deal with much adversity. And, you know, the little bit they did, they just kind of got out through some luck. It's going to be a tough matchup the rest of the way. But I do think they should win and get to the medal game. But if they get Sweden, I wonder if they can win. I think it's going to be a pretty even matchup. I don't think it's as heavily favored USA's way because – Sweden has great decor, and I really like their goalies. And they're playing at home, so yeah, like yeah, that. I mean, that's that a helps. little that can that can cut both ways, though. These are kids. The emotions Pressure. are sometimes. Well, yeah, I mean, like, the emotions it, are sometimes plus five and sometimes minus five. You know what I mean? Well, particularly like, when a European nation doesn't host this tournament all that often, it's mostly in Canada. So. Which, which is which is right. Which is, again is why they I have such high expectations because Canada is one of the nations that t- is takes this tournament the most seriously. Uh, you can say Sweden and Finland have recently more, uh, and USA have more. But I mean, if Canada places a World Junior gold pretty much equal to an Olympic gold, a little below it, a little below it. Yeah, but like USA Olympic gold would be so much higher. A Sweden Olympic gold, you know, like that would be so much. They might higher put a world championship team. gold in Europe above winning the world. Yeah, Juniors, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. And again, yeah. that's fair. I mean, they have a lot more going on for them. They have Spangler Cup. That's something I wish the NHL would try to get into. Um, don't do the in-season tournament yourselves. Get in the Spangler Cup. Because Make the Spangler Cup the here's, end of the tournament. Here's the thing. Don't be penny-wise, pound-foolish. You think owning your own tournament is and having an in-season tournament of your own teams is the best way to make money because you would control and have the whole financial pie, but Europe's a bigger pie and an untapped pie. And getting 
and you might have to share the pie with European clubs and the IIHF. However, the merchandise and what you can, the relationships you would get that you could expand to bring your own product and your own little siloed revenue generating one-offs and sideshows to Europe would be huge. And, and that's all I'm saying. And, and that's why they should be playing the Olympics and blah, blah, blah. Yes. Even if and it's more development and more development of players yeah. wanting to go to the NHL. And, and, and you know what I would be for? I don't want multi-team ownership in the NHL. I would rather these public e- equity funds and stuff own teams in Europe. Uh, that's what I would rather have. Uh, but... We're getting into a FIFA discussion. Anyway, we will but have more coming it's better, up in this it's month. It's better in different leagues where they're not competing against each other than in leagues where you're competing against each other and proprietary data that you have is more damaging when it's shared and more like more advantageous sure is anyway on that note good hockey 